This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. I thank you for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today our special guest is Eric Hernandez. Eric is back with us probably for, I don't know, fourth or fifth time. Eric's a commercial real estate agent and a senior vice president and principal with Lean Associates in Ontario, specializing in industrial real estate. Eric's specialties include active tenant, buyer representation, landlord representation, land sales and development, build-to-suit assignments, and investment sales and analysis. Eric's real estate career now expands over 20 years in the Inland Empire. And he's achieved recognition for many notable transactions, been involved with over his career, has been involved in over a billion dollars worth of commercial real estate transactions. So, Eric, we welcome you back to our show. Bruce, it's great to be back. And I think it's been too long. So yeah. it's always great to catch up with the smartest guy in real estate that I know. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> no, I don't know. But you know what's fun, though? Um, you know, when you put when you put stuff in writing, as I do, some of the stuff you look at after you after you put it in writing and go, boy, I, I sure hope that I sure hope that comes true. So three years ago, we wrote a report that the title was two percent mortgage rates, forty trillion in debt, and that gave it. A, there was a time frame that allowed that to happen, both the interest rate and the uh, forty trillion. So today, this morning, I just got a, an email from a guy that I have, uh, I've used as a lender occasionally, and I would recommend him regularly. And he just told me he did his first funding of a sub 3% 30-year mortgage. Wow. So wow. that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty incredible. So let me start with, I'm going to give me a review of 2019 for the commercial real estate world that you're connected to? It seems like an eon ago at this point, but wrap up 2019 as far as like, how, how was 2019? 2019 from a, you know, from an activity standpoint, you know, it was one of the best years ever for industrial commercial real estate in the Inland Empire. You know, we are fortunate to be at the crossroads of a lot of different things. You know, the Inland Empire, you know, if you're in Southern California, the Inland Empire is really the only major market you can go to if you are looking for a brand new state-of-the-art industrial facility. And so, you know, like, for example, Amazon has taken, I've lost track of how many buildings they've taken now in the last 24 months, and they're huge expansion there. But even if Amazon wanted to go to, let's say Los Angeles or Orange County and lease a million square foot building, they really can't because there's really no land left to do that. And so if they want to do that, they've got to come to the Inland Empire. And so they've taken, you know, multiple locations all over the Inland Empire from, uh, you know, out in the east, out to the west. And it's interesting how they do it because they build these buildings. You've probably seen this project right off the 15th freeway in Eastvale at Cantu Galeano, and they build these million square foot buildings. And what a lot of people don't realize is inside some of these buildings, they put two additional stories of decked mezzanine. So when you drive by, you don't realize that it's really a three-story industrial building on the inside. It's just incredible the amount of improvements they put 
you know, into these buildings. Yeah. And so we're, we're a destination market for brand new state of the art buildings. And from a technology standpoint, we're at the crossroads of this next wave of, you know, e-commerce 2.0 where, you know, people obviously have been buying things online for a long time, but their willingness to buy other large ticket items has really taken off in the last five years. Um, if you're familiar with like Wayfair, you know, the furniture company that oh, yeah. sells a lot of things online, yep. the technology has caught up and the willingness for people to buy those types of things online have really taken off. I'm, I may be a little bit more old school. I like to go touch it and feel it. You know, my sister is a really good example. She's in her early thirties, got married, started a family, bought a place in, uh, in Irvine and she furnished probably 70% of it online. She bought her furniture online. <laughs> I, I asked her, I said, well, what, how do you do that? What if you don't, you know, like the furniture, it doesn't work. And she just says, well, I just call them up and return it. I've got 30 days to return it. Oh, and smart. you know, that, that didn't really exist even maybe 10 years ago where you could buy, you know, that type of furniture online and have the confidence to be able to return it. You know, now the reverse logistics, end of that business, all these companies are really still trying to get a handle on, you know, because the returns are a whole nother issue, but we're really fortunate in Southern California and in the Inland Empire to be, you know, at the right place at the right time with many things happening that is good for growth and development and job creation in the Inland Empire. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. What you just said has ramifications for anything, anybody that has a physical location for furniture. Very true. Yeah. So uh, one of my clients, <clears throat> now you wouldn't think about this, but let's use Costco as an example. Okay. If you go on Costco.com and, you know, buy a piece of furniture there, very often that piece of furniture is not warehoused with Costco. It's warehoused with a third party, like one of my clients, for example. Okay. So you buy it online and the order gets routed, you know, from Costco to my client. And then they fulfill it and they do the last mile delivery. They do the white glove, you know, bring it up to your doorstep. You know, you pay an extra 50 to $80 They bring it over the threshold into your home. They install it, take care of it. And then if you need it picked up because you want to return it, you pick up the phone and call them and, and they come back and they get it from you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So, you know, Costco obviously has a huge physical presence, but they've integrated their e-commerce, you know, aspect to their business. So, during the, you know, this COVID quarantine, you know, kind of stay at home that we all went through over the last few months, if a business did not have, you know, a, a large component of their business type e-commerce, I think they got hit pretty hard compared to those businesses that were able to thrive and still do a large percentage of their business online. It's a, it's a real good example of that and, and how technology has changed you know, how we buy things and how people do business. Well, it's also when you're thinking about where the future is going to go, I don't think it's going to retreat from that uh, a great distance because you sort of have a, a business model that works here regardless. So you're, you really would be hesitant to say, okay, well, let's uh, buy a bunch more square footage in a mall or something when you go, well, wait a minute, let's kind of create a, a safer model than that. It'll be interesting to see how the next few years develops. You know, a lot of people are, are very concerned about, you know, retail 
real estate. That seems to be the, the market that has really just gotten, you know, impacted the most during all of this. You know, I, I sent you an article. We had talked about this. You know, the Irvine company back in, and this was in March, was uh, way ahead of, I think, most landlords in thinking about how they were going to deal with their retail, especially restaurant tenants. And so, you know, back in March, uh, there was an article in the Orange County Register on March 23rd, and the Irvine Company basically came out to their tenants at Fashion Island and the Irvine Spectrum, and they gave them a 90-day rent break. And they said that for April, May, and June, it's now rent-free. Pay us back next year, and we'll amortize it over a period of 12 months in 2021 because they they knew that you know, it was going to be an issue. And they're, they're the first company that I can really think of that got way out ahead of what was happening. Actually, at the time, it was pretty pioneering because, you know, we were, I think the the, the emergency order or the lockdown order stayed home. It just happened maybe the week before. Okay. That was very, uh, that was a lot of foresight and uh, probably made their customers breathe a big sigh of relief and nobody said, okay, well, I, I got to find a way to close or get the heck out of here. So that, that was smart for retention. Well, having a tenant that, that's got a chance to make it and be in business as a landlord is better than, you know, putting your tenant out of business. Right. And so landlords have, I think, a vested interest, you know, in working with tenants, especially if they've been severely impacted by all of this to figure out how to make it work and, um, you know, lend a helping hand to keep their tenants in business. I think that type of thing also is remembered. I got to be honest with you. You know, when you, when you reach across the table and say, okay, I understand you're going to be having a difficult time. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to help you get through it. Not everybody did that, but the people that did it, I think will be remembered for doing it. I, I would certainly feel that way. Um, there's another segment. I know I you. I know you're not connected to this part, but we talked about retail getting hit. Hotels are another one, so that's c- kind of connected to commercial real estate. And I don't know if you're. I know you're not connected to it on a daily basis, but do you know people that uh, that are and the survivability of that model is that uh, is that a big problem? You know, I I'd be it'd be a stretch for me to pretend to be an expert on on the hotel side. So any information I have is just really anecdotal. Um, I do know a couple of people that, that work at or manage, you know, some notable local uh, hotel places and, and just by, you know, what I've seen that they've posted on Facebook, right. Or, or interacted with them about, about how low their occupancy levels have gone locally and the occupancy levels locally, you know, they dipped, you know, below 20%. Yeah. You know, sometimes they were 10 to 15%. And it's a, it's a variety of different things. You know, obviously people not traveling has a huge impact, right? Because if you, if you travel and go out of town, that's the first thing you do is you probably book a hotel room. If you're not staying with family, if you're, if you're traveling for business or pleasure, um, you may not rent a car today. You might just Uber everything, right? But you still need a place to stay and hotels and, and, you know, also the Airbnb is really popular and all of those businesses were pretty severely impacted during all this, I, but I, I'd, it'd be a reach for me to speculate on how that's all going to evolve over the next few years, but they've definitely been severely impacted. That's for sure. Do you see any, um, 
any laws, you know, we were going to have somebody else join us, but they had a family member uh, that passed away. And so my condolences to them. Um, is there any law changes? So if you have an apartment, you know, you found out, although that's being under discussion now um, or being challenged that you couldn't evict somebody. And they were talking about a moratorium of rent. If you're a hard money lender, there was talking about a moratorium of payment. So is there any legislation that they've dreamed up for that might impact the industrial real estate world? So there's actually um, a bill that's going through California right now in the legislature that that uh, NAOP, the, the National Commercial Real Estate Development Organization, is, and, and many other groups, many chambers of commerce and other business-driven organizations that understand the business side of things, there's something called SB 939 that is trying to get out of committee in the legislature. I believe it's on the Senate side in California. And it basically is going to um, give commercial tenants the ability to not pay rent for 12 months. And in fact, you know what? I think I've got an email here that would be better suited. Maybe if I read it, it would give a little more detail to that. Let me pull that up here. Okay. Yeah. In fact, the, the, the angle that this is being pushed is to, you know, help commercial tenants, you know, in their leases. And, and the idea was that it would be for restaurants, right? But it's not really written for, restaurants. It could apply to any commercial real estate lease, right? So mm -hmm. basically the, the, the idea is, is that commercial tenants would not have to pay rent retroactive to March 2020 for an indeterminate amount of time tied to the state's emergency order. And it doesn't require payment of rent until 12 months after the order is lifted. So for example, if the state's emergency order is lifted at the end of the year, Businesses could be operating and generating revenue for more than a year, but not be required to pay rent until January, 2022. Wow. Now, if you're a landlord, most landlords typically have a mortgage on their building. Are they going to go to their mortgage letter and say, Hey, my tenant's not paying me rent, so I'm not going to pay you. I, I don't think that's going to work. I think the mortgage lender is going to be standing there going, well, if you don't pay me, <laughs> looks like you're not going to have the property anymore. It's going to be my property now. So there's a whole cascade of events that that sets off. I understand, you know, where maybe the idea is coming from, you know, these restaurants in particular, just really, I mean, you know, some probably won't make it. I, I hope, you know, they all make it, but unfortunately, you know, that's probably not going to be the case. So I understand the idea of wanting to help, but, but it's a good example maybe of, of government getting in the way of something and having a good idea gone bad versus savvy landlords. And, and the Irvine company is a really good example getting way ahead of the problem. This is remember this is back in March, March, April, three months ago, right? They got ahead of it and started working with their tenants to actively make sure they could keep them in business so that when things started opening back up, like now they still have tenants. Um, I did, you know, during the, you know, the stay at home when we were all working from home. Most of the work that I did during that time, you know, if there were existing deals that were in progress, I did several lease renegotiations between tenants and landlords where sometimes I was on the landlord side, 
sometimes I was on the tenant side where we all sat back down together, you know, virtually basically or on conference calls right. saying, how do we figure this out? Um, one of my clients was tied to the furniture business. Uh, another side, I was on the landlord side and the tenant came to us and they said, Hey, we're the picture frame business. And they, they bring in picture frames from all over the world and they sell them wholesale to retailers. Right. Mm-hmm. By the end of March, their revenue was zero. Wow. Right. They didn't expect they were going to be able to sell anything for April. Hopefully business would pick back up in May and they've been a great tenant for several years. You know, the landlord always paid on time. And so the landlord worked something out where we did some rent relief and we worked it out so that, you know, we would make it up on the back end of the lease. Now the landlord doesn't want to lose a good tenant. And then was an extraordinary time to have certain businesses, you know, revenue just went to zero. Um, and, and many stories like that where, you know, people were impacted if their business wasn't directly tied to the e-commerce, you know, it, it, landlords want to work with tenants to keep them in business if they've been good tenants. And, and I've seen the vast majority of landlords have been more than willing to lend an open ear and figure out how everybody works together to, you know, come up with something that's mutually beneficial for all parties. Yeah. That, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Prop 13 probably going to be is on the val- a ballot in November for commercial. Yeah, you're. We're, so we're talking about the split roll. Yep. Um, property tax initiative, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my 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 gut sense is that it'll pass. So, well, I'm just curious. What do you feel? You think that will not pass, or do you think it'll pass? I hope it doesn't pass. No, I know. <laughs> I hope it doesn't either. <laughs> yeah, it would triple my so, triple my business tax, my building tax. So anytime, anytime the, 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 so this is a good maybe fundamental understanding that maybe most people don't realize in how commercial real estate leases happen, right? Right. So the general idea whenever I, I see someone advocating for the split roll property taxes is it's with the idea of, well, we need to get those, you know, real estate owners, you know, rich real estate owners to pay their fair share. Right. Now that's a whole nother debate on, you know, what is the the fair share? Do they, do they not pay enough? Do they pay too much already? That's a whole nother topic. But in general, the premise of raising property taxes on commercial real estate to raise money and get someone to pay more very misleading because the, the vast majority of commercial real estate leases in California, certainly 99, well, maybe I'll say at least 90% or more. I would guess it's 95% or more, but I'm, this is kind of spitballing a little bit. Okay. Certainly I would say 99% of all commercial real estate leases I've ever negotiated. Right. And the standard AIR, commercial real estate lease form says that if property taxes go up, that the landlord has the right to pass that cost on to the tenant. So for example, whenever a building sells from one party to another, if it's a you know different party that acquires the property, because of Prop 13, right, the property taxes only get reassessed at the new market value when the property trades hands. 
So when that property trades hands, the real estate taxes go up, the assessed value goes up. That increase in property taxes, the bill goes to the owner, right? But all the owner does is they give the bill to the tenant and they say, okay, you now owe me this amount of additional property taxes because I've got the right to pass through that additional increase in cost to the tenant. And so if property taxes go up on, you know, assessed values and then the property taxes for commercial real estate, the vast majority of the increases in those taxes will be paid by the existing businesses operating in those buildings. California already has a problem losing businesses to other states right. for a variety of different reasons, legislative, unfriendly business environment, too many regulations, whatever you want to pick. I mean, even Elon Musk, you know, was tweeting that he was going to move the Tesla factory out of Fremont, you know, to another state because of all the wrangling he was going through, you know, with the local officials up there. I don't know if that'll really happen or not, if that was just leverage negotiation, but it got a lot of attention. You know, Toyota, you know, made a big splash several years ago when they moved their headquarters that was in the South Bay in Los Angeles to Texas. Um, you know, Texas very actively likes to poach high profile companies from California because I think in their mind, it's pretty easy to do. And the last thing I would like to see is Prop 13 be changed because frankly, of, of all the legislation that, that people can you know, poke phone out or, or say that, um, you know, California is a difficult place to do business. In my opinion, Prop 13 is a shining example of one of the great pieces of legislation that California passed that a lot of other states don't have. That's right. And, you know, yeah. Prop 13, you know, especially protects, you know, our seniors and people that have owned homes for a long time from not getting priced out of the home that they've lived in for maybe 20 or 30 years. It's a great piece of legislation. We shouldn't, I don't think we should touch it at all. I, I, I brought that up to an economist one time who was very much in favor of changing Prop 13 for residences. And when I brought up that, you know, that's a protection for people to keep their homes, his comment was, that's why they have reverse mortgages. <laughs> so not, not very. Put them in more debt. Yeah, great not, job paying off your home. Now we're going to put you in more debt so you can stay in it. Yeah, not very sensitive. <laughs> well, it's it's like I I really do believe that that Prop 13 is is one of the great pieces of legislation that that California passed, and you know a lot of other states. You know, a, a client of mine that was in town a few months ago from Massachusetts, we have similarly sized homes, and and you know valuation wise, and the property taxes for his home. Now I've owned my home for a little while but the property taxes for his home are five times what mine are. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that is, you know, California doesn't win all the tax battles. Of course, when you, when you make income, you know, that's a, uh, that's a big difference. You know, we're doing a lot of stuff in right. Florida that has zero has 6% sales tax, not seven and a half. You know, you start adding those pieces together. It's a, it's a big difference. Right. So um, the one thing that happens with, and I, the reason I'm concerned about it passing is because the uh, it's the inventory they're going after is owned by a very small percentage of people. And so it really depends on the voter understanding where that lands. Cause it's going to land just like you said, 
not going to land on the in the negative side of the person that owns the building. It's going to get passed to the person that rents from them, who's going to pass it on in product costs to the consumer if he can. Now, if he can't, right. and he just has to eat that change, you might have a vacancy. So there's some ramifications to it. There's that's for sure. But I think because so few people own that type of real estate that's impacted, it has a chance to pass better than what I would have liked. And even if it doesn't pass, and this is the this is a difficult thing. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we voted against rent control, and and now we have it. So it's a it's kind of an interesting journey how things can get changed that you voted against. And Prop 13 has always been my my opinion or my understanding that it really does have to get changed by a vote of the people. It does. Yeah. I, yeah. Hope, I don't know why that's different. I hope, I hope that, I hope the people that, that are, you know, going to go into battle to, to help people understand what it really means when you do this split role property tax initiative. And this has been tried several times, right? You know, it's often, you know, for different reasons, you know, sometimes it's, Hey, the schools need more money or we need more money for this or whatever, but whatever the purpose is, you're really not getting the owners of the real estate to pay for it. Right. Maybe the mentality is, is that we're going to get Scrooge McDuck, you know, to pay more. Right. But actually they're not going to pay any more at all. It's going to be all of these tenants that are operating these buildings, many of which are small to medium sized businesses. And, you know, some of those people, it's, you know, that's the difference between being able to pay rent this month or payroll or maybe letting an employee go or increasing your costs, you know, if you can to absorb that additional hit, you know, I mean, in some cases I would imagine if the building's been owned for a long time, you know, the property tax increase would be substantial. So I hope that it doesn't pass, you know, the, the, purpose for the money and do we need more money for the things? That's a whole nother discussion. But I think the the idea that, that only a few people are going to pay for this is really misdirected because it's really going to be all the businesses that operate, you know, law firms, attorneys, you know, hospitals, medical clinics, if they rent out doctors groups, you know, small manufacturers, you know, value add people, distribution companies, everybody that you see, that's in a business building will be directly impacted because they're tenant operating in that building. And I, I think it's just, it's just really misdirected in my opinion. I, I hope it doesn't pass. I hope it doesn't either. The Norris group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE license 01219911, Florida mortgage lender license 1577 and NMLS license 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com.